The presidential motorcade has just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. What you are witnessing in Ukraine with the Russian invasion is not what you think it is. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. We touched on this on the last podcast, but I want to get a little bit more in depth, give you some perspective, and then we are going to reset what our values and principles as Americans based on the founding of our nation, what they should be so that we can understand what we are witnessing and what is being shot for down the road goes wildly against those principles and values. What you are seeing isn't Ukraine being invaded by Russia. This is the nationalist Russia wants to put back their, their great empire. They don't even want to just put back the Soviet Union. They want to put back the Russian empire. You're seeing Chinese nationalists. You're seeing Iran, the axis of evil, up against the Great Reset World Economic Forum Global United Nations of Davos. That's what's really happening. Ukraine is their proxy uh, battlefield. And that's why you're seeing, like we read in the last podcast, that thread by George Soros. George Soros, all of a sudden, supporting Ukraine. Ukraine is a corrupt government, completely corrupt. And if you remember, they voted in uh, Zelensky to fight back against the corruption, also remember Victoria Newland and Eric Charamella, the man whose name should not be told, CIA and State Department official. He was an actual CIA agent working in the State Department under the Hillary Clinton State Department. And if you remember, they were responsible for the first big revolution because the State Department, in conjunction with the United States CIA, was aiding and abetting dissidents that they found to topple the government so they can put in people for their goals. That was called Civil Society 2.0. Go look it up. They showed them how to mobilize. They provided them weapons. Not only did they do that, they actually showed through using big tech how to organize on the fly. They did this in Libya. That's where Benghazi went awry. The reason why you had big groups of people showing up out of the blue all at the same time, firing against the consulate, firing against the CIA annex that ended up showing up in a movie for 13 hours in Benghazi was because they mobilized and organized back channel through social media, Twitter DMs, things like that. Ukraine wasn't successful the first time around under the Obama administration, but they damn sure are going to make it successful this time around. So when Ukraine wasn't successful, where did they go next? They went to Syria. Go back through our archives. I did a two-part special because I had so much information on why Syria was a target. 
It was competing pipelines, competing energy pipelines. Russia wanted theirs that benefited Iran. Turkey was on the fence. They could have went either way. The other one was one that benefited Germany and the UAE. And what ended up happening, Turkey saw that Russia started getting the upper hand and went with Russia. Notice now Russia's invading Ukraine and Turkey's putting up a big no-fly zone. Because Turkey doesn't back Russia. Turkey doesn't even back us. Erdogan is Yasser Arafat in a nice, you know, nice suit. He's like a, he's like a terrorist leader that went to Philip Michael fashion, right? So forget Turkey. Turkey's going to be an issue with Russia down the road. They've already tried assassination attempts against Erdogan in the past. Turkey is something to watch out for. And if you are a Christian, you start to get, I don't know, vibes of Gog and Magog, right? Russia and Turkey. But that's beside the point at the moment. What we're looking at is the World Economic Forum is basically canceling Russia and then on top of it, setting the propaganda ground war. Now, my, the, where I'm lost is, is Zelensky a good guy or not? Is he like Trump and does he have a swamp? Could be. But he did support Justin Trudeau. Apparently that was one of the few people that inspired him to get into politics. So you got to question that. You got to question his uh, affinity for uh, LGBTQRS and the trans movement. Trans movement was adopted by Antifa, right? (laughs) Because the majority of Antifa are homosexuals and transgender people lashing out as foot soldiers for the left. That being the case, we have to look at the fact that Zelensky is either a really good actor and he is a part of the puppet machine, like Biden, like Trudeau, installed so that they can they can assist in cultivating the foundations of the World Economic Forum's United Nations of Davos, or he's got a swamp and he was legitimately elected by his citizens to drain the swamp like we have here. Now, I don't know the, the, I don't know the political and the civic makeup of the government of Ukraine. So I can't tell you where the checks and balances are. I can't tell you if there's a bureaucratic wing that undermines everything like we have here in the United States. But I do know that something doesn't make sense with Zelensky, but the rest of his party is completely on board with the new world order. In fact, listen to this member of parliament. She actually says, not only do we want to fight for Ukraine, but we want to fight for the new world order of the Democrat state coalitions. Right now, it's a critical time because we know that we not only fight for Ukraine, we fight for this new world order for the democratic countries. When you hear new world order, when they're talking about it in Australia regarding COVID, when they're talking about it in Chicago with Lori Lightfoot, talking about covid when they're talking about it in new york when george h bush says a new world order and then ministry turns it into a song to mock them you gotta wonder they must be on board that's that's the code language that's all you need to know george soros backs ukraine 
and she's talking about a new world order. Now, is Zelensky on with a new world order? I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. Maybe she's part of the swamp with the parliament. I don't know. But I do know that regardless of what Ukraine is doing, the rest of the World Economic Forum is trying to capitalize on it. Now, it gets unsettling when you find out that Ukraine wants to be a part of the EU. Because the EU is the beginning of the World Economic Forum, United Nations of Davos. Remember, the British joined up. Germany joined in. Everybody was fine with doing this union until the government structure started coming in. They all thought it was like a trade union. You know, they thought it was like a NAFTA or a CAFTA. You know, it's just going to be this little uh, trade union. We can all use the same currency. Then suddenly they wanted government authority. Then they wanted a military. They wanted an EU military, to which that's the straw that broke the camel's back with Nigel Farage. Britain said, nah, we're out of here. Let's Brexit. And then we had Trump, which was our Trexit, right? You had Bolsonaro, uh, Bolsonaro down in Brazil elected. Poland stands up against the World Economic Forum. Hungary elects their leader to stand up against COVID tyranny and also the World Economic Forum. And look at who's targeted. It's all of the ones that wanted national sovereignty. That's why I don't think of myself as a nationalist. I think of myself as a sovereigntist because I enjoy the sovereignty of our nation. Now, we can still do trade with good nations, right? You know, we got a little greedy and said, oh, let's do trade with China because China has a whole market. Look at, they've got millions of people, right? Untapped market. Same with Iran. Untapped market of people. These companies said, well, man, we could really kick up our pro- our." Our profits, if we tapped into that market and gained that clientele, gained that that entire market share of people. Granted, they didn't care that if you're going to do business in China, you've got to be a part of a joint venture with Chinese communist leaders as members of your board. I mean, you have to give them shares in your company. Nike doesn't care. Apple doesn't care. Google doesn't care. And those are the companies that are canceling Russia. Now, I can agree that Russia should have sanctions. But when the entire nation is being penalized by these companies, we're not going to show Batman over there. We're going to take EA Sports and take our Russian teams off of the, uh, you know, the hockey and soccer games and what have you. Really? What is that going to do? That, that's, that's virtue signaling. That's nothing. That's like pouring the Russian vodka down the drain, which I went off on that in the last podcast. I just picture these people out there with Russian dressing, sitting there squeezing it down the drain. It's slowly coming out like freaking syrup. It's like taking all day. You know, it, it, it loses its luster on video because it's not just eliminating and, and showing. It's like this slow sludge dropping out of the bottle. Right. It doesn't doesn't quite hit you with the weight of protest. But regardless of that, this is this is what we're looking at. I mean, down to Disney, down to every company that has a international reach that did business in Russia is now saying, no, we're just not going to do business with you anymore. 
Well, the Russian citizens get screwed in that process, right? So now they are actively going after the oligarchs' assets because they know Russia is run by the oligarchy. The Der, uh, what's his name? Uh, Der, um, Deripaska, right? Oleg Deripaska, those types of people. They're the ones that make people fall out of, you know, 10, 20 story windows. Oh, he was bringing a piano up into his window and he just fell out. Yeah. Oh, he was a dissident, right? I, you know, it's like the, the, the last leader, what's his name? that had the dioxide uh, poisoning. You know, they'll get you in a, in a restaurant. They'll hit you up with some, some poison. And next thing you know, you'll just like pass out later and die. That's how they attack their enemies. That's how Russia does. Um, but they look at the oligarchs because the oligarchs put the squeeze on. And if the oligarchs start losing assets, start losing money, their yacht gets confiscated. Well, they might turn around and go, hey, Putin, you got to drop this thing. And then Putin looks weak for dropping it. And then they just oust him and execute him. That's what the World Economic Forum wants, because they want to replace him with a puppet so they can make their global union without any speed bumps. And you have to look at what America is doing and go, okay, and I've said this on a podcast back in November of 2021, the America that you live in is not the America that you remember. Not only that, the officials that lead America are not leading from an American place. I know that sounds confusing. Basically what I'm saying is they're governing as if they're governing a new nation already. Everything they say supports the new nation. It doesn't support the old America that you believe in. You know, baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, freedom. Now, they, when they talk, they talk about democracy. We have to preserve democracy. Right, Hillary Clinton? Uh, this occupant, occupant of the Oval Office poses a clear and present danger to our future to our democracy. You knew you were entering a world of growing inequalities and divisive tribalism, with people pulling away from those who are different from them, seething resentments, and a broken information system, have empowered those who, for profit and power for themselves, are willing to inflame our worst instincts. It's put your future, our democracy, and our very planet at risk. Well, Rachel, um, I, I am very worried, concerned. Uh, I spent a lot of time uh, thinking about exactly what Ann Applebaum and you and others are uh, worried about and trying to point out, uh, because I do think that we are facing uh, a crisis of democracy, a crisis of legitimacy, uh, a crisis that really goes to the heart of what the future of our country and many others around the world will be. Realize when Hillary Clinton is talking about preserving democracy and we got to protect democracy, she's not talking about American democracy because we're not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. They want direct democracy. The World Economic Forum, United Nations of Davos is going to be a di- direct democracy. That's two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. Who's going to win? Well, the sheep loses, and they're going to eat him. So direct democracy, majority rule, well, that's going to lead to 
socialism. Because then whoever wins is going to be the charismatic leader. And then he's going to say, well, I think we need to do this and we need to do that. And whereas the Constitution is a set of negative liberties that keeps the government from stepping on our natural rights. Well, they want to be able to be the ones to divvy out the rights. They're the elites. They're the ones that should be telling you how these uh, rights should be passed out, divvied out, distributed. And so their democracy is different than what we think of. See, we automatically just assume, oh, well, they're fighting for democracy. They must love America then. You know, they're Americans. They made all their money here. They rule. In, they, they've had positions of power. No. <laughs> they want something bigger. They want to have family members sitting on the boards of these green energy companies so that when we dump government co-op tax money into them, we give tax credits so that you can buy a green electric car, even though the lithium batteries of these cars don't last that long. They're harder to power. They must be powered by coal fire power plants by plugging them into an electrical outlet. And disposal of the battery is worse for the environment than any fossil fuel can ever be. They make off like bandits because they were on the board of a new market. And all the sales of those vehicles are just the portions of those sales go into their pockets. And then they'll go back to their family members who are in this new government, giving them all the money. That's what we're looking at. You have to look at it as though they're governing from a different country. We just weren't told that America isn't where they're governing any, anymore. That's why they don't follow the Constitution. That's why they genuflect before big business. That's why they're able to get big business to do what they couldn't do through legislation. That's how they're canceling Russia. That's how they cancel you. So you have to realize what you're seeing on this stage is a battle in the World Economic Forum's United Nations of Davos encroachment into your sovereignty. Russia's just pushing back. That doesn't make Russia a good guy. That's the problem here. Putin is evil. Alexander Dugan the professor who is his, um, his advisor, pure evil. Just look up Alexander Dugan's fourth political theory. Yeah, he's fighting against Soros. He's fighting against a great reset. The problem is when he wins, it's what he wants to do after that does not jive with conservatism whatsoever. He wants to end capitalism too. So here's the problem. The nationalists, like Russia and China, if they win, they gain control and they crush capitalism. The World Economic Forum, if they win, they gain control, they crush capitalism. Either way, conservatives get crushed. We get screwed. And you have to realize, yeah, you can kind of support some of the things that Putin's doing, but realize some of its big propaganda being used to gain your support. That's why when I was first looking it up, they were talking about, oh, well, you know what? The Russians are going in. They're bombing the biolabs because there's a bunch of biolabs in Ukraine. They're getting rid of the neo-Nazis. It's all BS. They're using that propaganda to gain your support. Just go read. I, I think the, the name of the book is The uh, Great Renaissance versus The Great Reset by Alexander Dugan. 
Vladimir Putin's advisor. Just listen to it. He is calling out to flyover country, America, and saying, you're tired of the transgender movement being pushed in your face. You're tired of the, uh, the coastal elites getting their way. You're tired of George Soros pushing for a globalist union. Well, yeah, I'm tired of all that. Yeah, go, go. Problem is, what he wants in the end game and what we want in the end game are diametrically opposed. So I can have empathy for the citizens of Ukraine and I can have empathy for the citizens of Russia, but realize Ukraine's government is corrupt. Zelensky, I don't know. Maybe he's got a swamp. Maybe he's acting and he is corrupt. We know Putin is. We know Dugan is. We know that if we were baited into war, I would have empathy with my brothers and sisters as American patriots, but I cannot stand Biden and his administration and the theft of government that they had, right? Same rules apply there with Ukraine, with Russia, with America. So on the other side of the break, I want to get into some fundamentals. There's a piece my buddy Mark wrote for Omnia News, and there's also a piece that I wrote years ago, and they, they, they dovetail together perfectly. And they really set the foundation for why are we who we are as conservatives and why what we're seeing with both of these factions, the Nationalist and the, the World Economic Forum, United Nation of Davos, globalist, why they are diametrically opposed to what we are in our founding. Real quick, if you want to get a taste of the World Economic Forum, their godlessness, their lack of humility, their arrogance, because they call themselves elites and they think they're above God and they think they can do things that God did. You know, they think they think that they can manipulate humanity through their technology. Just listen to this creepy clip of how they're looking at the end of uh, humanity and they get into um, transhumanism, how they think their technology is going to change human nature and humanity. I mean, this is God complex stuff. Just listen to this real quick. We are probably one of the last generations of Homo sapiens because in the coming generations, we will learn how to engineer bodies and brains and minds. Now, how exactly will the future masters of the planet look like? This will be decided by the people who own the data. Now, why is data so important? It's important because we've reached the point when we can hack not just computers, we can hack human beings and other organisms. Now, what do you need in order to hack a human being? You need two things. You need a lot of computing power, and you need a lot of data, especially biometric data. But control of data might enable human elites to do something even more radical than just build digital dictatorships. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power 
to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. All of life for four billion years, dinosaurs, amoebas, tomatoes, humans, all of life was subject to the laws of natural selection and to the laws of organic biochemistry. But this is now about to change. Science is replacing evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds, but our intelligent design and the intelligent design of our clouds, the IBM cloud, the Microsoft cloud, these are the new driving forces of evolution. And at the same time, science may enable life after being confined to, for four billion years to the limited realm of organic compounds, science may enab enable life to break out into the inorganic realm. He even gives a little nod to the God in the sky, right? Because atheists always say, oh, you like that God in the clouds, the sky God, which I'm like, no, my God is in the third heaven. <laughs> and the second heaven is expanding, and we can never see the end of it, even with our Hubble telescope, right? All of that majesty being built constantly, ever-expanding, and we are a tiny speck in the middle of that. Yeah, go try to transhumanize the entire universe, douche. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. On the other side of the break, we're going to get into the fundamentals and the foundation of where our minds should be so that we can reject all of this mess that's being thrown at us. Back in a second. This is Adrian Slade. So in light of current events, current situation that we're sitting at, installed leader, he uh, puts up a big barricade outside the White House, gets the National Guard to guard it over a threat that was non-existent, puts him in the parking garage to go to sleep, Suddenly, we have the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal that allowed China to roll in there and take control of our air base and the precious metals and resources it would take to make electric batteries and electric vehicles. We give up, man, we give up all of our oil resources. You know, we cut the Keystone Pipeline on day one. Gas prices go up. Inflation is through the roof. All of these things look like it's something that is set to dismantle America because they are governing from another America, a different country. That's why when you went to go protest on January 6th, they decided to round you up with the FBI, even if you were just there. They gra grabbed your phone metadata and, you know, contacted you. They took some of the people that were involved in walking in and put them into solitary confinement as enemy combatants because they're enemy combatants of another country. That's why they haven't been released. They haven't been given due process because they're not operating under that constitution. And in light of all of this, inflation hikes, all of these things, I, I want you to listen to what this individual, they call him a conspiracy theorist who was once criticized by William F. Buckley, right? Well, he's a businessman. This guy, Robert Welch from back in the 1950s, Listen to what he says about how to destroy a country, um, the 10 steps that they would use, and you tell me whether or not we're on that train. That plan, of course, is to induce the gradual surrender 
of American sovereignty piece by piece and step by step to various international organizations of which the United Nations is the outstanding but far from the only example. Now here are the aims for the United States. One, greatly expanded government spending for every conceivable means of getting rid of ever larger sums of American money as wastefully as possible. Two, higher and then much higher taxes. Three, an increasingly unbalanced budget despite the higher taxes. Four, wild inflation of our currency. Five, government controls of prices, wages, and materials supposedly to combat inflation. Six, greatly increased socialistic controls over every operation of our economy and every activity of our daily lives. This is to be accompanied naturally and automatically by a correspondingly huge increase in the size of our bureaucracy and in both the cost and reach of our domestic government. Seven, far more centralization of power in Washington and the practical elimination of our state lines. There is a many-faceted drive at work to have our state lines eventually mean no more within the nation than our county lines do now within the states. Eight, the steady advance of federal aid to and control over our educational system, leading to complete federalization of our public education. Nine, a constant hammering into the American consciousness of the horror of modern warfare, the beauties and the absolute necessity of peace, peace always on communist terms, of course. And ten, the consequent willingness of the American people to allow the steps of appeasement by our government, which amount to a piecemeal surrender of the rest of the free world. Mr. Welch is correct. What else would you do differently than that? Go down the list. And see, this is the problem. A lot of people in the uh, younger parts of the generation, uh, in, in our population, they think, well, we, you know, we got to stick it to the to the man because he's sticking it to us, right? They want socialism because they they don't like capitalism. But we haven't even been operating on capitalism. I mean, we've been operating on cronyism, where somebody's uh, hands going to wash somebody else's. And they can look the other way. They can build their regulations up. You know, they can get favor with this politician or this regulatory agency. And that's the problem with the swamp, the bureaucracy. Because the bureaucracy wasn't in the design of the government. That was something that happened under FDR. And the bureaucracy can now be the gatekeeper or the barrier of entry for many of these businesses. And that's how they do it. Oh, we won't allow these certain activities to happen because that's why we are in existence. But you got a little bit of money. Maybe we'll look the other way. Maybe we'll write you in a little uh, grandfather clause. Maybe we'll, you know, give you a little work around. And that's what they do. And you didn't elect these people to office. You didn't elect them to have this kind of power. But that's where we are right now. And this is a system that we, we haven't done free market capitalism in decades, I mean, probably uh, just a little bit after the creation of the United States government, we've just got cronyism. And now cronyism is stepping in bed with government 
in concert together. And that's why you're seeing Ukraine being propped up by the World Economic Forum. That's why you see Russia being completely canceled by big business. And, that, you know, business will shut down the country. And see, I think we really need to kind of reset our values, reset our fundamentals, revisit the roots, because that's if, if we stick in this mindset that even though we're conservative and even though we like individual liberty, we still think government should do a lot of stuff. Um, we need that minimized and we can't have that mindset where, oh, government needs to step in and fix this. Because the problem therein is government is going to fix it, but they're not going to do it with your best interest at heart. They're going to do it, and it's going to hurt you tremendously, and you won't even see it coming. So there's two pieces I want to read. The first one is from my buddy Mark. He posted this in Omnia News, and uh, there's actually, uh, it dovetails with one I wrote years ago. I think it was back in 2012, 2013, and This is the social contract. He starts out with a quote from Thomas Jefferson. I know no safe depository of the ultimate powers of society, but the people themselves. And if we think them not enlightened enough to exercise their control with wholesome discretion, the remedy is not to take it from them, but to inform their discretion by education. Thomas Jefferson. The social contract is a political theory that emerged during the age of enlightenment Its focus is on the relationship between the individual and the authority of the state. In theory, men are born with freedom or natural freedom. In this condition, people are governed only by their moral constraints. Keep that part in mind because my piece is going to give you the understanding of where those moral constraints come from and how it it works in our natural uh, state in our natural way of thinking. According to theorist Thomas Hobbes, existence in this situation with men having the, quote, right to all things, the world would exist in a state of plunder, rape, murder, and war, making life solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. To avoid such miserable fate, people contract with each other to establish a political community through a, quote, social contract in which they all gain security in return for subjecting themselves to the power of a sovereignty. And that's what we have to look at. This, the government doesn't rule over us. It is our contract together to create a civil society. Going back to the piece, according to this theory, law is not a natural thing, but a generally accepted, uh, or generally accepted as long as there is a benefit to commiserate with the natural rights lost as a result of its adoption. Hobbes argues in the book Leviathan that the government or governmental construct is not actually a party to the original contract and that the individuals are no longer obligated to submit it or submit to it when it agrees upon protections that are no longer fulfilled. It was John Locke's work on understanding the relationship between inalienable natural rights, freedom of speech, the right to life, self-defense, freedom of religion, freedom from violent crime, the right not to be enslaved, that form the basis of the Declaration of Independence with Jefferson writing, governments are insulated among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed. Bingo! That's where we are. The Founding Fathers viewed the social contract with a certain level of suspicion and contempt because they were well aware of the state's capability to exceed its prescribed powers. Thomas Paine described it thusly, government, even in its best state, is but a necessary evil 
in its worst state, an intolerable one. Putting all of this uh, sustenantly, we agree to follow the laws and rules of a state, pay taxes, fight its wars, and allow certain institutions a measure of control over our lives in return for security from foreign threat, the right to not be defrauded, secure borders, and the right to a safe society free of crime and civil unjust. I would argue that the social contract in the United States has never been on such thin ice. If you were to step back and think for a moment, what powers the federal and state governments have reserved for themselves at our expense against the backdrop of civil unrest, exploding crime rates, failing international power, and insecure borders? It's actually shocking. The current government reserves the right to impress you into military service if you're at a certain age, garnish wages in a self-prescribed percentage of its own use, and heck, they'll even do civil asset forfeiture and just take your assets without due process. I'm throwing that one in there. I have my own issues with civil asset forfeiture. They can imprison you if you don't comply, mandate you submit to forced experimental drugs, monitor your private communications, control your ability to keep and bear arms, freeze your bank accounts. Freeze your financial uh, assets. If you are a political enemy, they can do all of that. They can indoctrinate your children, financially provide for illegal aliens and foreign enemies, restrict, restrict your speech and right to free travel. It actually borrows money from citizens who haven't even been born yet. Let that one sink in. Our government encourages leftist riots, but won't allow me to go to a restaurant unless I show proof I submitted to an experimental va uh, vaccination. It allows illegal aliens entry into airports by using an arrest warrant for identification. It provides billions of dollars in aid to countries that want to annihilate us. We didn't agree to let them do any of this. And if asked, we wouldn't. While I'm not advocating a revolution, it would appear something needs to be done. But what? Montesquieu, in Spirit of Laws, warned, quote, when once a republic is corrupted, there is no possibility of remedying any of the growing evils, but by removing the corruption and restoring its lost principles. Every other correction is either useless or a new evil. We are, at this time, not even assured a free and fair mechanism of elections. How then does a republic remedy a government that is acting against it? How do we make a government aware it has become intolerable to us? Thomas Jefferson once wrote, quote, When the people fear the government, there is tyranny. When the government fears the people, there is liberty. Perhaps somehow the ruling class needs to be reminded of this. I've realized that capitalism is a dead term. It's akin to the way the label conservative is or identifying yourself as such. That's lost its luster. Many of those proclaiming conservatism are actually just millions of miles away from the embodiment of the true definition of the word. That's why I look back and say we need to get away from the thinking of government will fix things, even if it's done from a benevolent conservative view. They feel simply that voting for a particular party's candidate is going to automatically make you conservative. These same individuals will cry for a government solution to cultural and economic problems which is in no way a conservative principle. Many will question my premise of asking, well, then, what do you believe conservatism means? The meaning of conservatism is how we view the way that we want government in our lives to work together. Are we trying to conserve constitutionality? Are we trying to conserve founding principles? Are we trying to conserve natural rights afforded to us by our creator? Do we believe in a codified document that is fundamental and foundational to our nation? And that it was drafted to shield those natural rights from our human nature to infringe upon them due to our own selfish, sinful desires. If we believe so and answer yes, 
then we would be conserved. We'd be considered a conservative. Many candidates who run in election primaries in order to become a nominee of a party claim that they're conservative. They eventually violate those questions we fielded earlier. In turn, they've overused the term and tarnished it. This is why I've decided I'm no longer a conservative. These days, I identify myself as a constitutionalist. I'm also not a capitalist, especially in light of these corporate entities canceling a nation like Russia due to its invasion of Ukraine. Those companies are assumed to be operating in a capitalist system, but they're not. They are crony corporatists who are doing the bidding of a Marxist ideology and partnering with governments around the globe to have a foundation and the stability of those said governments. They're also using the governments to shield themselves or to block damaging effects of debilitating regulations that caused heightened barriers of entry for other businesses, businesses or entrepreneurs to enter into the market. That's the point of the $15 an hour minimum wage. They can, they can expand their wage cost because their bottom line can, you know, can propel them into the storm clouds that come through while all the other businesses operating on thinner margins just go out of business. And then, and then who picks up the market share? They do. But the biggest problem here, um, that's, that's what it is. It's the government-private company partnership. They don't have any ethics or morality involved in how they operate. And this is where my piece that I wrote kind of comes into play with the piece that I wrote before. Um, it's basically the idea of leadership. I call capitalism or I call uh, uh, constitutional republicanism the spiritual authoritarianism, the spiritual totalitarianism. Because although you might be the president, you have a leader higher than yourself. You might be the leader of the free world, but you have a leader higher than that. You know, this is, I'm, let me go to the article here. There's an innate desire embedded within the fabric of humanity. It's based upon natural desire for guidance. There is a will within human beings to be provided with structure and guidance. A sense of security is found in this type of guidance. The yearning for guidance facilitates its emergence through the seeking of leadership. And every leader resides in many places. It's found in every faucet of our existence. You can witness it within the family unit, the workplace, our government. Leadership is evident in divinity and spirituality. There are many different forms and styles of leadership. Some forms derive from motivational perspectives based on rational thought. Others are formed simply out of barbaric rule of, and barbaric natures. Regardless of style, a yearning for leadership is ingrained in the hearts of all beings and can illustrate the differences between the progressive movement and the conservative political viewpoints. Totalitarianism is a leadership style that seems to have been the norm for the majority of the globe over and over again. It has been that way since the beginning of time. Most every nation's governmental structure is built upon some flavor or form of dictatorship. That's what the book of Judges was all about. That's what the book of Kings was all about in the Bible. You know, they were given land by God, the Israelites, and the Israelites said, well, we need, we need some judges to, to rule things. And God's like, uh, I'm the judge and king. What's going on here? So he places some judges. Oh, we need some kings to rule us. They all wanted rule, but they weren't taking the rule from the actual ruler himself, God. Back to the, to the piece. Most every nation's governmental structure is built on some flavor of dictatorship, usually consisting of a solitary leader or a ruling class. Many of these nations' historical accounts consist of centuries of a type of totalitarian leadership form. 
In turn, most citizens of these totalitarian nations are subservient to their leaders as their way of life is all they've known. The problem lies within the leaders at the top. Being humans with sinful nature, these rulers or elite ruling class groups will not govern towards the will of the people. They will typically pursue their own self-interest. The will of the citizens is an afterthought, and any benefit, whether it be small or marginal, would be a byproduct of selfish pursuits. So while self-interest, by default, they will, you know, while pursuing self-interest, by default, they will serve some degree of what the citizens you know, actually want, but they get a little byproduct of it. The totalitarian leader doesn't typically view a higher authority above and beyond themselves. While pursuing self-interest, they allow greed, other human desires to grow and influence without uh, consciousness or without consequence. Neglect of the people will ultimately occur. Complete suppression and even torture of the people will be employed and are meant to solidify the ruler's rule as a totalitarian leader to ensure decades of power. Ultimately, man, without any regard for moral authority, is completely dangerous to the people they govern. Unfortunately, this is the root of progressivism. The progressive sees themselves as being born with a talent or birthright to guide all the other citizens due to their own superior intellect. This explains their lack of faith in a higher power. It also explains their arrogance and their desire to eliminate anything from what would be considered equal in a similar situation as every other citizen in the nation. So in contrast, we must take a look at the development and the makeup of our own nation as it was born. Many will say we live in a democracy. Many will recognize that we actually live in a representative republic. But I ascertain that we, that we live in an American design of government that is actually a form of spiritual totalitarianism. God is the ruler of our elected officials. Decisions and actions of those who have been elected were to be governed upon their fear of God, their respect for their creator. Certain lines wouldn't be crossed. Our elected leadership is nothing more than an executor executing the laws provided by the lawmakers in the country, Congress. Our lawmakers are nothing more than a collection of representatives and senators that spar in a process that is so filled with gridlock by design, that they only allow, you know, good things to squeeze out of this blender. They only allow to submit logical legislative solutions. This is the cornerstone upon which the founders built and constructed this new form of government. But ultimately, their leader is God. Decisions are based on those principles. It is not a topless form of government because even though it looks topless on the outside, God is actually the one who should be in in control of ruling. God's countenance to instruct their path of service to the will of the people should be what is in play. They were allowing God to be the ultimate ruler and place themselves as servants of God and also servants of their constituents. This is where conservatism should reside. Conservatism sees God's role role as ruler and acknowledges its its adherence to godly principles. They do not view themselves above anyone else, but see that everyone can be given an equal chance to succeed. Whether or not success is initiated or attempted by an individual is that individual's choice. Sometimes that individual just, it's not in the cards for them. Maybe they're being taught a lesson by God. Who knows? Back to the piece. As the views of our leadership... 
the role of our leadership change in many areas of the culture, we must realize the root of our governmental design. The fundamentals of its founding and uh, composition are crucial to maintaining its integrity. Certainly, a separation of an established style of religion is mandated by the government and is necessary in allowing us to remain free as a society, but the founders escaped a government ruled by a national religion and focused on the importance of its separation, but a severing of God and our leadership should never be enacted. Doing so opens the doors for corruption, lawlessness. It facilitates a quenching of thirst for unbridled power, just as as the design of a system of checks and balances is employed to maintain the integrity of each branch and area of power. We must have a moral authority as well. God must be in charge to keep the system of checks and balances between our duties and actions as elected servants and our overall self-interest, you know, in, in check. These, quote, spiritual ethics are what should govern us individually and ultimately leads to effective governance collectively. And that's basically the reset that we need. That's the great reset we actually need. The resetting of American founding, the resetting of constitutionality, the resetting of protection of individual rights. That's all being encroached upon with the World Economic Forum. That's all being encroached upon by the outcomes of what a Vladimir Putin wants in fighting the Soroses, in fighting the World Economic Forum. He may have some things that we agree with, fighting Soros, fighting globalism. Yeah, I'm all for that. But his end game is different than ours. He wants to eliminate individual rights. The World Economic Forum wants to eliminate property rights. They want to eliminate your ability to own things, your ability to have control. Both sides are evil in this game. And we got to keep our focus on the fact that there isn't good versus bad all the time. Sometimes there's bad versus bad and some good people caught up in the middle. And that's what's happening in Ukraine right now. And this is a proxy war being fought against two totalitarian sides that do not have America's best interest at, at heart. Just keep that in mind. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Check it out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker. Tune in. You can also get the free channel in the Roku streaming store. Also, donate to the show, anchor.fm slash Adrian Slade slash support. Call in 1929 GoGoUSA. That's 1929 GoGoUSA. God bless. <laughs>